So this service is going to be a little different than the normal one for a couple of reasons. But one, you will be asked to use your cell phones later. Okay? So so we're going to try to incorporate some technology. Now, those of you who are younger, and I see a couple here, know how to do that thing. But we're going to put up a number on there, and it's called a text message. Okay? You all are familiar with that, I assume. You're going to be asked to text now. Because some of you may not be familiar with texting. Yeah, the older people. Okay, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I have put... That's right. I have put some paper in the middle of every row for you to write on. The second thing is we're going to have a panel after I go about 20 to 25 minutes of preaching today. So with that said, uh, I'll, I'll begin with an illustration now. I told you this before, but I'm actually kind of bad at telling jokes that like I know the ending to. I don't know. Something about my personality just tells it wrong. Some of you are laughing already, okay? So I've really worked on that as a speaker. So, hey, it's a funny joke. Like, if you don't laugh, it's okay. I might be a little sad. All right, so so here we go. Winter was coming on, and a hunter living in Alaska, he went out to kill something that would give him some warmth. He needed a coat. So he's, he was looking for a bear. So he went out in the winter, and, you know, he, he lined up his rifle, He's sitting in his blind or whatever he's got out there looking for a bear. Eventually a bear comes along. He's about ready to shoot him. He's following him. He's got him in his sights. And the bear stands up and says, excuse me, sir. And the guy's kind of taken back. He's like, why do you want to shoot me? And the guy's like, well, it's the winter, you know, and I, I need something warm to wear. And the bear says, yeah, you know, I need something too. I'm, I'm kind of hungry. And so the bear, you know, they, they, they work on an agreement. And the man ended up covered in layers of fat and fur, and the bear ended up full and fed for the winter. That was a good laugh. That was a good laugh. We, we always lose when we try to compromise principles, don't we? We always lose when we try to compromise principles, especially when it comes to sin. It never works out for us in the end. Just like the bear, and that man, he compromised the principle of living, you could probably say. It's a good thing to be alive. Sin oftentimes consumes us when we compromise on principle. See, the passage today is really about compromise. It's about striking a deal that throws away principle. This is not your good kind of compromise, if we can ever say our government compromises well these days. This is not that kind of compromise. This is one of principle. This is a deal or a compromise in which one party, someone or something, ends up hurt, recklessly in danger, or losing something of extreme value. And usually, someone else gains a lot. This is the kind of compromise that we're going to see in our text today. We're going to look at the story of someone who traded something of great value for something stupid. Really, for something of no value, almost. Now, before you say, I would never do that, try to not say that in your minds. Instead, as I preach the Word of God to you today, examine in your hearts where you might be tempted to do that. We don't want to just put this villain, and many of you know, you've seen the passage, we don't want to put this villain off to the side and judge him. We want to say, what might we do in his place? 
So today, after I read the text, we're going to have a panel up here, and we're going to talk about some of that stuff. We're going to ask, what does this teach me about God? What does it teach me about myself and others? What does it ask me to obey? Why don't we pray that God will open our eyes to this this morning, and that we will see Jesus, even in this Genesis 25 text. Father, I need your help today. We all need your help. This is this morning was great. We give you all the praise and glory because we saw Jesus clearly as the one who opens our eyes. When there was a great gulf between you and us, he stood there. He helps us to hear, and so we ask for that today. May we see him in our mind's eye, and may we love him more as a result of this funny but yet serious passage. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Why don't you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25, please. Genesis chapter 25, and all of the panel members in my Bible here this morning are ESV. So I'll be reading out of the ESV. Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 to 34. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank and he got up and he left. So Esau despised his birthright. When we look at this passage, I think we need to ask ourselves a question. The first question is, what is the reason or the first reason that Esau compromised? What is the reason that he compromised? Well, if you look at me in verses 29, with me in verses 29 to 31, I think we see some reasons. But let's back up just a little bit further to verse 27. I'll read a short phrase there. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. Interestingly enough, the word for hunter here that Esau is rhymes with the word for cook and the word for meat in verse 29 through 31 of our passage. Now that's interesting. Why is that interesting? Because I think our author Moses wants us to get the connection that this man is preparing a meal to hunt the hunter. Right? Well, I love that illustration. It kind of sets our mind anyway. But get, get in your mind this way. The quiet man at home has opened up his gun and he's ready to hunt the guy out there who's hunting the game. So the words rhyme here in the passage. And I think he's setting a trap. Jacob is setting a trap for Esau. I think we can see this not only because of the words there, but think about the Bible in general. What do we see? We, we have some food and some sin in Genesis chapter 3, don't we? We have a trap set for some people in that chapter. Right? Adam and Eve and some food and someone who sets a trap for them. We also have Noah and some food or drink. Jesus, as we move forward in Scripture, there's some food, there's a temptation in the wilderness, isn't there? He succeeds where others failed. But nonetheless, when we have this food set before us as a choice, that's never good. So in your mind, you should be thinking, the author wants you to think, Moses wants you to think, Cain and Abel, food, trap, uh-oh, watch out. And to me, this makes perfect sense, right? And I think to some of you as well, I love food. And I often fail with food. 
One of the favorite phrases at our house that's really bad, but that we like is, the diet starts tomorrow. Okay? The diet starts tomorrow. Man, I'm gaining weight. Okay, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, we'll have a strawberry shake. It's one of my favorite things Bob makes. The diet starts tomorrow. My my dad, when he when we were growing up, he, he was on a diet and sticking to it really well until one night at dinner. We're sitting there, and my brother probably remembers this. He he had this rule, one helping. And so we saw him go for another one where dad, what just one? He's like, Yeah, that's right, just one more. Just one more tonight. See, most of us compromise a lot when it comes to those kind of things. But this the gravity of this passage is far more than it's not just about food. And that's something for you to chew on. What is the gravity of this passage? Well, so I think there's a trap with food. I think biblically we can support it as far as the trap goes and, and that kind of thing. But there's another reason I think that it's a trap. Look at verse 26 right above the context with me. And I'll read that. After this, his brother came out, that is, Jacob, with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Now, we all know that the naming process, and if you don't, I'm going to tell you, the naming process in this culture was extremely important, and often, if not always, in biblical record, the person that got their name, they acted exactly like their name. The greatest case is Jesus. What does his name mean? He saves. There are other people, I won't go into them for sake of time, what is this grasping the heel thing that Jacob is called? Well, we know he's a trickster, but let's look at this word picture. Okay, If I'm running after Tom and, and you want to stop me from winning the race, what are you going to do? Trip me. What's the best way to trip me? Well, there are a lot of ways. I'm not a very good runner, but you could hit, hit my legs below the knees, right? That's the picture. He, in this passage, is described as a trickster who stops other people from doing what they're intended to do. See, this is not just a random encounter. This is like a Clint Eastwood movie. What happens in a Clint Eastwood movie? Well, there are some things that happen, but if he walks into a bar, western bar, through that little gate, someone's about to get shot. Someone's going to get hurt. There's going to be a fight. See, in Clint Eastwood movies, Clint Eastwood usually shoots people. In Jacob situations, Jacob usually tricks people. And so we've got a trap. We've got a trap set here. See, in other words, this is the kind of thing we might expect from Jacob, isn't it? It's a trap, but it's it's kind of an unexpected situation, but it's an expected event. And you know this kind of event in your own lives. You sit down late at night at your computer, exhausted after a long day. You go to check your Yahoo email account. And an image pops up on the side. Bang. Man, that is one beautiful pair of shoes. I mean, after all you've been doing in your home, you deserve those shoes, don't you? You've got 28, but a 29th would be real nice. In fact, all you have to do is Amazon one-click buy, and it's on the way to your house. And in fact, those shoes match that dress you just bought yesterday at Zulily's. Oh. I hear those laughs. I know. I know these things. And you reason to yourself, ah, you know, my credit card debt isn't that high. I'll pay it off after my next check. In fact, what am I going to do? Sit here in endless frustration, wanting those shoes all day and tomorrow? Or endless bliss, 
with a pair of shoes bought off Amazon on the way to my door. That's a trap. It may be an unexpected one, but in an expected way. See, I think this is very similar to what's going on here. If we move on, we see that Esau wants some stew. Why? Well, he's hungry. And this word is is good. It's, it describes hunger. It's a little more than hunger. Uh, I've been talking with some of the guys we talk with. It's really about exhaustion. Hunger is a part of exhaustion. It's used of Sisera in Judges chapter 4. Unfortunately, he drinks some milk, falls asleep, and he gets a tent peg through the head. But he was tired and he needed something to eat. No big deal, right? Okay. It's used of people after long trips in Judges chapter 8. It's used of people after fasting. And it's also used, surprisingly, of those who are calling out in need of the Lord's presence and help in the Psalms. So it's a little more than just hunger. It's the kind of exhaustion that we all feel after having done something that uses our mind and heart and body. It was a real need. I don't want you to miss that here. Esau had a real need. We all need shoes. We all need different things in life. And yet, every good trap has a bait, which is the food here. It has something else, doesn't it? It has a hook, something to kill. So here we have Jacob setting a trap for his brother, who is the type of person, right? That type of person. Sorry, Jacob setting a trap for Esau. He's that type of person. You know, when I think about this, I can't help but think of fishing. I know some of you like fishing. I love fishing. What I learned quickly growing up fishing in Minnesota is that if you throw a hook out there with no bait, ain't nothing going to happen. Right? Now, I was stubborn enough, (laughs) probably my brother too, but certainly I was, right, to try that once or twice and learn, hey, that didn't work. You know, there was part of it was my stubbornness. Part of it is that leech is really gross. Like, leeches are kind of nasty. I didn't really like hooking it on there. But hey, when I hooked it on there and cast it out, I got some fish. And I really like that. That's exactly what is going on here. Jacob baits the hook, and the hook is his desire for the birthright. What does it say here in verse 31? Read with me again in verse 31. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. He's got a meal ready for him. It's a real need. Esau walks into the trap. Bam. He sets the hook. It's a trap. So what is the first reason that Esau compromised? Because he was in a trap with a real need. In a few minutes, when I'm done here, I'm going to ask some people to come up and I'm going to ask you to write down questions or text them. I want you to think about how that might apply to our lives. Where is an unexpectedly expected trap? Where is the hook? What is the bait for you? How can you comment or question, hey, what is the bait for me? Maybe I don't know. Maybe someone can help you with that. Think through that, application and theology-wise. But the first reason that Esau compromised is because he walked into a trap with a real need. What is the second reason Esau compromised? What is the second reason? Well, I think that difficulty often makes you and I exaggerate our situation. Or, worse than exaggerate, forget everything that's good in our life. Let me give you an example. And I was at DPS. I was a freshman. And, uh, you know, I expected to do well. Proud. And I got my first bad grade. 
I passed, but it was a bad grade. I was angry. I tend to be a little emotional guy. I can go up and down. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. That day, I wore them all over. I wanted to punch him, sadly. I wanted his job. I was angry. I was sure that I had done right and he had done wrong. But then a funny thing happened. I began to think about my life. I snowballed. I'm like, man, not only did I did I get a bad grade here, man, I gotta walk a mile to the bus, and then it's probably gonna be late, and some dude's gonna want to talk to me that I don't really want to talk to, and then I gotta walk a mile to my home. My home is broken down, and it's got one of these weird things, a heater on the wall that could burn down my house any minute. I actually lit can this is very similar, it had an open flame where we were living. I lit candles in it. One time I needed something for my grill, I didn't have a lighter, we took some paper, I lit it in there and put it on the grill. Okay, but you understand, my life snowballed, and I, I, I was just in misery. But I just stepped back a second. I just stepped back a second and realized and rightly evaluated my life. Hey, it, I didn't fail. In fact, it has helped me, in retrospect, become a better communicator and a better student of the Word of God. Now, what does Esau do? Read verse 32 with me. Look, I am about to die. Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? Now, is that right? That's what I was thinking. Man, I'm just going to die. I have a ter- I'm going to die. I wish I was dead. You know. What does Esau do when faced with real need, hunger, and a trap set by the enemy, his own brother? Well, he claims that he's walking to death. This this picture. Bam. Right? That's what he says. But is that right? No. That's not right. Why do I know? Well, first of all, he walks in to get a meal. Someone that is going to die from hunger cannot walk. Okay? I mean, really. Maybe crawl, but they aren't going to just walk in and demand things. Second, someone who is even a small fast, if you gulp stuff down really quick, which is what the text says he does, what happens? Come right back up. You can't handle it. And thirdly, I know that he's lying because of what happens afterwards. He gets what he wants, and the text just says he does all these things. He, he sits down, eats real fast, gets up, and walks out. That's not someone who's about to die from hunger. That's not what's going on. So what does Esau do? Like me, I think, or I like him, I want to ask, did he correctly evaluate his situation? What did he do? What did he forget? What was his attitude at that time? I think he exaggerated for himself and lied about his situation to himself and others. He was impulsive. A decision like that. I don't care. He decided quickly. He never prayed. They all speak of instant gratification. Of the passing pleasures of sin. Had in a moment of real need, but exaggerated. So that we come up with this huge mess that we have to have some solution to right now. But what is up for gra- what is up for grabs here? Is it really so bad that he ate a bowl of soup and traded it for a birthright? Now, some of you probably know this already. We're going to go through it quickly. What is up for grabs? What is a birthright? Well, it's used 11 times in the Bible, this word. Five of them in connection with this story. Interestingly enough, it's the importance of carrying on the name of the family. It's the importance of the double portion. It's the importance here for this family. Maybe you can bring this out in the questions of Genesis chapter 12, being in the line of the promise. 
There's a spiritual aspect to it. Not only that, selling your birthright. Does anyone connect that with any passage in the New Testament, maybe? The younger son sells something, insults his father, and his older son is upset. Surprisingly, this is the older son selling his birthright to the younger son. It's an insult to his father. That would be like your child saying to you, I don't care about you and our family. I want what I want. And in this case, it's not money. It's a bowl of soup. I don't care about you. I don't care about promises. I want a bowl of soup. What is the value of that? Think through that. So you might ask or comment to these guys up here. What is the value of that birthright? Really? What is the value of the promise to him? For you. For him. For all of us. What is the value of that? Let me just give you a picture of a, of a small compromise, of a small deal gone bad compared to this. In 1977, the senior execs at 20th Century Fox made an astonishingly short-sighted decision. They sold all of the rights for all of the movies and the merchandising for Star Wars to George Lucas. In exchange for how much? $20,000. That value is now over $3 billion and accruing. It, that makes it the best deal ever recorded between an individual and a company. Something like 200, whatever, $999 million, basically. No, more than that, $2,999,000,000 profit. Right? It's a lot. Horrible decision. A compromise that ended up terrible. So I ask you again, what did Esau forget about himself? What did Esau forget about others? Certainly he forgot something. What did Esau forget about God or his situation or the future? Certainly he isn't thinking right. Certainly he forgot something. But I think the second reason that Esau compromised, if you haven't figured it out yet, is that he exaggerated his situation and undervalued what he had. I think that's the second reason. What do we do in our lives that's the same? That's what I want you to be thinking about. And what do we know about God in this situation? Finally, I want to take a step back as the passage does and read verses 33 and verses 34. So 25, 33, and 34. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob excuse me, gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And this is what I was talking about. A string of actions. He ate and he drank and he got up and he left. And so, the Scripture tells us, he despised his birthright. You know, do we realize in our lives that oftentimes the direction we're going to take turns on an axis or pivot on a single decision? Oftentimes a small daily decision to walk with Jesus or not sadly, spins our life from here to here. Or from here to here. Like that. You know, have you ever thrown away something that you really needed later? Maybe it's a bill that you need to pay and you end up being really late. Maybe it's a receipt for something that you aren't going to use that you turned in. I read a story about a guy in New York as I was looking for illustrations, a couple of guys. They got a lottery ticket, they threw it away, for whatever reason, and they ended up winning. What happened is that lottery ticket, they did some research, ended up in Canada in a trash dump, and they couldn't find it. 
So they tried really hard, and then they end up suing the company to try to find that, right? But they lost. They eventually lost. Now, every one of us, rightly thinking, when we make a bad decision, what do we try to do? Yeah, fix it. Try to make it better. What does Esau do? Is that his attitude here? Does he realize the gravity of his direction after this decision? I don't think he does. And the text says that. It says he had no remorse. He had no repentance. It just seems like he doesn't care. So the overall picture is that he doesn't care about what's happened. He's uncaring. He doesn't, there's no, he's apathetic to what's just happened in this situation. There's something else here that I think we need to notice about that pivot point and axis that his life turns on. And that is this. That he is left, how would you love this, this to be your legacy? Philip bore it, red soup addict. <laughs> right? On your gravestone. But it's not just a gravestone, it's the Word of God for everyone at all times to see forever. That is a lasting legacy. Compromise here for Esau ends up in a lasting legacy of a red soup addict. Not, it could have been, it could have been firstborn son to inherit the promise in the line of the Messiah to be a blessing to all the nations and to be blessed by God through that. But instead, he created a bowl of soup for his birthright. Hebrews 12 talks about this a little bit, and I'm not going to go there much, but it's something good to think about. It says that Esau later wanted the blessing. It doesn't say that he really was sorry for what he did. It says he wanted the blessing. Why would he want that blessing? What is that blessing? Does God really want to just teach me through this passage that I shouldn't make really bad deals that, it, that hurt my financial future? That could be one of the things we need to learn here. Is that all he wants us to learn? What is the promise of the seed and why is it valuable? Why does Scripture make such a big deal of these five verses? What does the promise have to do with Jesus? And what does that have to do with me? And finally, am I supposed to do anything with this promise? What is my responsibility here? And if I am, what? So now, I'm going to move into a panel discussion. So this is completely new for us. Not this format. We've done a panel, but doing this teaching and then a panel is different. So those of us who have been asked, can you come up here and, and have a seat? I'm going to move this off. And I'm going to do what we often do with our internationals, a little bit of a discovery Bible. During this time, I'm going to ask them three questions. I've asked them to bring a sheet of paper and their brains and their bodies up here. Okay? So, come on up. During this time, while they're coming up and I'm asking them the questions, I'd like you to think through these questions, comments and applications that you might have about this passage. And Tom has volunteered, okay? Here's his number. You can text him questions. I put paper in your row. You can ask. You can also comment. Hey, this really stuck out to me in the passage or about what you said. And we'll bring it up here if it's good and relevant. We have two filters that I both trust. So, you know, maybe you love something that goes in another part of Scripture. Okay, we'll just filter that out. We love you still. We'll talk about it to you later. We'll just filter that right out. 
But I would love, this will not work without you participating. I have purposefully left out most theology and most application. So, Carrie, I actually need that too. I'm going to leave them in. Yeah. <laughs> so, the first thing that we'd like to do is each one of you paraphrase the passage in your own words. Okay, so we'll start with Stan. If you were to paraphrase what you just heard in your own words, how would you say this passage would go? You don't have to worry about being absolutely correct in theology, just in your own words. What is this passage? By uh, tempting him with the, the red suit, which Esau thought he needed, which he didn't. And Esau uh, traded his birthright just for a meal. So he, he despised his birthright. Right, good. Philip, what would you say? Okay. So, two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Esau is coming in and he says he's super hungry. Jacob is cooking something, stew. And Jacob says he wants, or Esau says he wants some. Jacob says, give me your birthright. Though we can assume they're brothers. So, and then Esau, for some reason, agrees to give him his whole birthright for a bowl of soup. And then he eats it and he leaves. Esau um, sold his his um, birthright for a bowl of soup. Good summarize. That's clear and to the point. Uh, two men, <laughs> two men dealing with their their desires in you know different ways, trying to meet their desires in different ways. Obviously, Esau, Jacob, uh, Esau wanted food. Jacob wanted birthright, and both of them going about getting what they wanted. Robert? Needs and wants, and how to go about them. Good. See, the cool thing about that is we see it, a perspective from all these guys summarizing it, and all correct, but a little different ways. So now I'm going to open it up. You don't all have to participate. I'm going to ask three questions of you. The first one is relatively easy compared to the others. What does this teach us about man? What does this teach us about man? And be careful to stick to this passage. We have desires, so it teaches us that all of us have desires that we have to wrestle with. Good. Um, I would say that both Esau and Jacob were, were wrong and had wrong desires. Um, Esau did not appreciate his birthright, and Jacob probably wanted it for the for the wrong reasons. We should check with God and His Word before we go free reign on our wants and desires. So, what does that teach us about man? That's right. Direct that a little more. So, we should check with God. What does that say about us? We tend to be autonomous. Anyone else? Before I need a second question. I think it teaches about man is that we have problems with delayed gratification. <laughs> That's good. You all hear that? Problems with delayed gratification. Anyone else? Anything else? Okay. It also teaches that man sometimes evaluates physical things more than non-physical. Like the birthright is... Uh, more or less non-physical, but the red stew was right there with the physical thing. 
Good. Good. Let's move on for the sake of time. This one's harder, and I might need to do a little bit of focusing here, but what does this teach us about God? And this is very hard because God is actually not in the picture here. At least from a human Okay, I don't know what this says. I'm trying to focus this thought into what it says about God. But God just lets all of this happen. I mean, it's his, you know, line to bring about the Messiah. And he just lets these two guys trade it for pretty much nothing. Like, if I trade it, like, swindle somebody out of a chank and a check in front of, like, the bank teller and then turn around and cast it. <laughs> so, I don't know, God lets us do bad things. Yeah, God permits. Yeah, good. What else? His, th- his thoughts are not our thoughts. Um, if God's perspective on this and your needs and your desires are different than both brothers. He also has a plan that he will implement regardless of what we choose to do. Anything else? Good. So this is the point where y'all, I've only heard that phone ding one time. Oh, great. Okay, great. We'll be able to move on. All right. I'm, I'm proud of you. There also are things in the aisle that we can pick up. Or I mean things in the aisle. Things in your seats in the middle that if you don't want to text and you want to write a comment or question, you can do it on there. And we'll, we have plenty of time to go through those. We've got about 20 minutes right now to go through those. So, <clears throat> the final question is, now this one is difficult. What is there to be obeyed and I'm going to call you out. I want to. I want you, within the realm of what is appropriate for this forum, to be specific on obedience in your life. What does this passage say to you about obedience? Is there anything to be obeyed in this passage? A willingness to consider or to acknowledge that God's will is different than mine, and being able to accept that above mine. What is, can you give me, so this is great, Robert, I feel a little more comfortable with you. That's good. Very nebulous. Can you break that down for something in your life that might be of value to the body? Like what, what, what do you mean by that in your life? Can you give me a specific concrete example? I'm a parent with two children who are sinful. (laughs) Uh, And my desire is that they obey right away. And so, Patience is a, a hard thing for me. I could yell at them, and that's my sin. Um, and that would be considering the immediate to get my will versus working with my children in patience and love as they grow to know Christ. What else? Valuing and trusting the promises of God there was a period in my life in the year 2000 when I lost my employment, my wife too. For about two years, we had no fixed income in New York, expenses as it is. And it, it was a time to hold on to the promises of God and trust Him for who He is rather than make decisions like Esau did. Okay, I was going to say... Uh Appreciating, finding out what is truly valuable and appreciating that is very easy. I can think of a couple of ways to go that. You see here, it's easy to trade away something valuable for nothing. Like, uh, in here, but also, you know, you can, you know, destroy a relationship and very quickly with words. 
you know, you get a quick laugh out of something, but, you know, your, how you deal with that person could be affected forever. Good night. That's like one of those things about a short decision. Um, you know, the birthright, as you mentioned earlier, was very important in, in that time. And, and Jacob, I mean Esau, did not hold that in the proper in the, in the proper respect um, that that he should have. Um, the things that that God wanted to bless people he did not hold that important but you know Jacob also and the fact that um, we know from earlier passage that he had been promised that the younger would, would be over the, the older but rather than wait upon the Lord to work out in his life he took matters in his own hands and he wanted to um, you know get the birthright for his own his own purposes and also in his also in his own way. So what does that mean for you, Paul? Can I, can I throw you under the bus here, Thomas? Sure. There you go. What, what does that mean for you? Can you be more concrete in your life about that? An example, a situation, your family, with brothers and sisters here. Um, you know, we, we, we all know that God wants us to live certain ways and, and, and be obedient to him and, to, and be, able to, be able to follow him. So... What I need to do is every day, you know, try to seek the Lord and to follow Him, to you know, to live for Him, um, and and not try to, you know, not try to mani manipulate things or try to um, um, work my own power, but just to be living a life of of, of trusting in the Lord. That's good. Okay, so I'm going to shut this down now because I think we have enough questions, and I. See 30, okay, wow. I prayed for a few, because sometimes in these things you make up questions just in case, but I'm, I'm thankful. Praise God. Okay, I'm going to turn it over to Carrie now, and um, I'm going to let him moderate until the end of the time. You've got about 15 minutes. So this is a good question. And, you know, thinking about we're trying to answer these from this text, maybe a little tough. Why did God recognize the trading? of the birthright. They're just going, hey, invalid trade. You're just working from this passage, right? Well, I can only, well, just from this passage, I can only think maybe God didn't appreciate his promise of, you know, the Messiah being traded around so flippantly. Maybe he figured, maybe, you know, it's not good that Jacob, you know, tricked his brother, but if he's willing to go to that length to get it, maybe he's better for the job, you know, to continue the line or whatever. Anyone else? It teaches is that some decisions that we make can't be changed. That's pretty heavy. Pretty scary. There's always something counterfeit available to meet a need that you perceive. So... What does it mean if you if you won't wait on the Lord's way and His provision? What might happen? You see that? You see examples of that? Yeah, um, having done a little bit of counseling, you get you get to know people on a real intimate level, and you get to know errors that people have made in their life. And having worked primarily with addictions, um, 
a lot of the guys that I've worked with uh, have said, um, I never thought that my life would end up here. Um, when I first started marijuana or did that first drug or when I first, um, you know, viewed pornography, I never thought it would be to this end where my life is destroyed. You never intended that your life would be destroyed by this. Um, so yeah, I'm even kind of forgetting the question now, but. Following that, following counterfeits of things with a short-term satisfaction. Right, and so for the moment, that seems right. And the consequence of it seems glaring. Anyone else? Yeah, uh, when we're about to make senseless or stupid decisions, can we be confident that God can or will intervene to show us the wrongness of our choices? And if he does intervene, how can we how can we prepare ourselves ahead of time so that we don't fall into the trap of doing something senseless and stupid to trap of the enemy? Will God intervene and show us the wrongness of our choices? Do you know in advance that he will? Well, we may have resources like check with spouse, check with elders, check with a wise, mature friend in the church for advice before you fall into the trap. I think in the passage, be sure your sin will find you out. Uh, I think of the passage of uh, how God disciplines us for our good as sons. Um, so... Yeah, he loves us, and he loves us enough that he's going to do what it takes uh, to lead us to holiness, to sanctification. Um, that's his promise to me. So, so will he show up with a warning in a timely fashion? I, I think that oftentimes we do have to suffer the consequences of, of our sin. I mean, if you look at Jacob's life, you know, past this. I mean, he deceived Esau, but then when he got when he got to Laban's house, Laban deceived him over and over and over again. So Jacob did have to suffer the consequences. Yeah, I don't know what they mean by intervene, though. Like, it, you know, God could have written in the passage, you know, don't do it in the clouds, and Esau could have still taken the soup or whatever. So you got to be ready to. I think take whatever advice God gives you in whatever form He gives it. I mean, I don't think He's just gonna. Just there could have been a thunderbolt and lightning right yeah, then. No, huh? no, you're not gonna get. You know, a car is not gonna hit you before you like say yes or whatever. So, or maybe it will. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think if you're thinking like supernatural intervention, I think you're gonna be disappointed there. I think the prodigal son that you mentioned uh, and the father who know, probably knew where his son was, heart was, probably knew where he was going to go, and you know where in the passage does he say, don't, don't go, don't stop, like, go, and I'm going to be ready to receive you when you come back. One, one thing in this passage that we, don't, we really don't see is what Esau's life was like before this. It's really kind of hard to think that he really esteemed the birthright before this. Esau I hated Jacob I loved. Is this one of the two events that God predetermined or orchestrated to make sure that the seed of Christ 
was sustained, was who it was supposed to be. Did God do this? He planned this? I believe God's sovereign, so yes, and we part and he participated. Anyone else want to climb out on that? Yeah, I'd have to say. I'll hand to the saw. Kind of, yeah. I mean, he made Esau a certain way, and, you know, he knit Jacob in a certain way, so. I don't know if, he, if it was his plan for, it was his plan, you know, for Jacob to take it, even though Esau came out first. So, yeah, I'd say so. Esau was, of course, foolish. But why does Hebrews 12, 16 call him godless? How do I have choices, or how can I have choices make us appear to be godless? Hebrews calls him godless. By rejecting the birthright, he rejected the Lord himself and the importance of the promise of the seed coming down Abraham's line. Your actions reveal your true heart. I, he might say, I don't know, maybe the followers of your actions kind of reveal what, what your true heart is. And so maybe his actions reveal that he was godless. He didn't value what God does. Can I cheat? Could that be said about us and things that we do? Is there a risk there? Yeah. Jacob tripped Esau. Who am I tripping? Someone asked. First Corinthians 13, love sins when Jesus prevails. Tom, do you, I don't quite understand that. Is that uh, I feel bad asking a question that I don't quite understand. Love sings when Jesus prevails. Jacob tripped Esau. Who am I tripping? Love sings when Jesus prevails. We're trying to take care of ourselves and not leaving it to God. Who are we tripping? It also teaches us that we as humans don't know what we need, but God knows. Now that's not a question, so let me, let me, okay. This passage is a great picture of where our values lie. Perhaps a discussion and how to value the things that God wants us to would be good. How do we know what God wants us to value? We do not want what we actually need, and we do not need what we actually want. How do we know what we truly need? You guys think about that. Search the scriptures. For they are they that give testimony of me and his will. How do you evaluate your needs? Have you seen anything from this passage? Good comment on that. You know, uh, a little bit a little bit later on in Jacob's life when he's getting ready to return back and he's gonna be seeing Esau, he wrest he wrestles with he wrestles with God um, one night and then God, you know, cripples him. And I think it's at that point, then, Jacob sees what's important, you know. At that point, he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And, um, I, you know, since God's at work in our lives, I mean, he brings us to that point where, you know, we don't want all these outside things, but we really want to... We really want the Lord Jesus. Did he tell God what that blessing had to be? A needs. 
Esau had a need. The, the thing is, is what you're willing to pay for that need. Pay a lot. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about, Phil mentioned delayed gratification in his message. What do you see in this passage about delayed gratification and maybe a lesson on its importance? See a delayed answer. They're going to gratify us. They're going to answer. Y'all can wait. Well, I was I was thinking that Esau was a, a mighty hunter. Uh, the, the, the portrayal that he was going to die of hunger that that's not acceptable. He could have found the ways and means to satisfy his hunger, being the hunter that he was. But he just wanted it now. The culture of instant gratification. Robert mentioned counseling people who had sought instant gratification earlier. Is that a, is that a common theme that you see and people suffer for it? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not just saying at me. I mean, instant gratification hurts you um, if you're not willing to pause and consider what God's will is clearly in the scripture uh, and even even to the point that we are familiar with what God's will is uh, in those situations that are, are are tempting yeah we're gonna we're gonna give into our our natural bent to do what we want to do yeah kind of this is kind of ironically we see for me at least I see Jacob being the opposite of Esau in that he has labored, and then he gets the reward in the passage. I mean, he's, okay, we talked about how Jacob, you know, was kind of this con artist, if you will. I can see him doing this trick like 10 or 20 times, like, you know, Esau walks by. But this one time, he makes the stew, and then Esau falls for it. So, I don't know, it, it, it obviously was, that's, he wasn't good what he did, but we see here that, you know, you know, putting in the labor and we eat later. I mean, that's, that's a picture of that. Okay. It's a good question. What is the Christian's birthright and how can we sell it? Having a worldly perspective, a right now perspective versus an, uh, an eternal one is an easy one, I think, for, for me to get into. Let me think about, okay, let me think about my finances right now and how I can meet my finances and make my choice about career and job and all that kind of stuff, thinking about meeting my needs right now versus, hey, what is what is God's will for my life? And maybe he might mean I might get a, I'll, I'll choose a job that pays less because of the law of the Spirit and God's working in my heart. Um, sacrificing the now or the, the future eternal for for now. Any other comments on that? Christian's birthright? My my gut reaction is they the kingdom of heaven, you know, in the future. So anything, you know, that we can do to affect or lessen our participation in that when the time comes, I think is a pretty big trade off for the worst. Better or not, but one of the things we should try to be as fruitful and tears the world from spring of Okay. Last question. Well, this is this one's a math question. No. 
Only the engineers are comfortable now. <laughs> but while we're waiting there, I just want to thank everybody for sending in those questions. We knew that there were a lot we couldn't get to all, but we appreciate you sending those in. Oh, hello. Who's there? What am I supposed to apply in my life as a result of this story? Well, that's a good question. What am I supposed to apply in my life as a result of this story? The correct evaluation of what God has placed in our lives by His grace. How do we really give weight to that in how we live, think, speak, plan? What does it make you think in your own life? I just think about, yeah, just in my own life, I'm reminded of how many of my decisions are right now decisions. Um, how I tend to live in, okay, I need to make this choice in right now uh, versus, you know, having an internal focus and having a, a focus that's influenced by, by Scripture. If I'm left into my own, I will get exactly what he saw, God. We're um, all either an Esau or a or a Jacob in, in our lives right now. I mean, we um, we don't appreciate the things of the Lord way, the way we should, or we trying to grab them with our own with our own strength, our own our own, our own will. So, what it mean, means for us is that we need to trust the Lord and and and, and to wait upon Him. Is that the last one? Would you guys like to? Share a thought as to what that means to you. What do you take away from that passage that you can apply in your life right now? Cry not to look to assist somebody else to fulfill your needs, even if they're uh, super close to you. I don't know. Esau could have, I don't know, looked to God or just waited, you know, for him to bring a deer or something into his path. But instead, he just went home and saw the first part of stew and needed to do that right now. So, I guess do not depend on people for the things you really, really need. It resonated with me as not to be real quick on making decisions. I think of the passage that says there's a way that seems right to a man but the end leads to destruction. And how that that just plays out. When we are relying on our own thinking and our best thinking, it usually will lead to some kind of destruction in our lives. <laughs> are going to be out there in the parlor to give a presentation. Yeah, thank you. That We prayed about this. I felt like that went well. Maybe you're half asleep and saying that was terrible and never coming back. Okay, we appreciate that feedback as well. But I felt like that went pretty well. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe what I'll do this week is I'll take some of those questions and hand them to someone who's wiser than I am and they can answer them. I, I don't know. That was great. Let's close in prayer right now and ask God to do that in our lives. What we just Father, we are a needy people. We want to grab what we think we need right now and we want to satisfy our fleshly desires too often because we don't value Jesus like we should. We don't value being sons of the kingdom. We don't value being joint heirs with Him. Instead, we look to bowls of soup in our life.
and we think we need them. Lord, teach me and this congregation to rightly value what you've given us. Teach us, Lord, to not make hasty decisions that are based on physical or or natural man kind of things. Lord, thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.